The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Out of nowhere, you get this call for a company called Uber. What's going through your mind? My first thought was, heck no. Why, <laughs> why would I ever do that? Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Path. I'm Ryan Roslansky, the CEO of LinkedIn. And on this show, I sit down with the world's top leaders to talk about the decisions that shape their unique careers and how these valuable lessons can help you forge your own path. Today, I'm chatting with Uber CEO, Dara Khosrowshahi. The beginning of his journey was met with a major disruption. At just nine years old, Dara was forced to leave his home and his family's business because of the Iranian revolution. But that didn't stop him. Dara learned how to embrace the unexpected and created a life filled with twists and turns. He was a bioelectrical engineer, worked at an investment bank, and then ended up as the CEO of Expedia for over a decade until finally becoming the CEO of Uber. Here's how Dara Khosrowshahi paved his path. I want to take it way, way back to a young Dara. Many uh, moons ago. Many moons ago, your early childhood, and maybe start with that first time that you remembered it all, what you maybe wanted to be when you grew up. Oh, God. So uh, I grew up in Iran, yeah. and we grew up big family. So family was always surrounding us. We lived in a big compound, cousins, uncles, et cetera, around. Uh, and my family had a big family business. And everybody was in the family business from my grandfather to my uncles to my father. And so it was always without question, all of the kids, myself, my brothers, my cousins, we would eventually step into the family business. The path was made for you already. Yeah. Totally. totally. <laughs> it, was, it was assumed. It wasn't really talked about. It was, it was uh, preordained that we were going there. Of course, a small thing called the Iranian Revolution interrupted that and threw uh, all of those plans aside. I was about nine years old. It was about 1978. The revolution hit. It wasn't safe for us to stay in Iran anymore. So then we went to live with my uncle in the U.S. And it was about coming into this new country, uh, learning the language a little bit better, getting along with these foreign-sounding kids. Yeah. Uh, and working my way from being an outsider to someone who belonged. And, and I think in hindsight, we were incredibly fortunate to have picked the U.S. as a place to come, to have my uncle who took us all in. Yeah. And then, you know, we rebuilt our lives here, which, uh, which has been a great adventure. Wow. All right. So that time you're in the U.S., um, you know, nine, ten years old, start going to school, I mm -hmm, assume. Mm -hmm. What was kind of your thought about school during those times? School was very important. So with my family, and I think this is true with uh, certainly uh, Iranian families and immigrant families, education was everything. Mm. So you were expected to uh, do well. You were either going to be a doctor or an engineer or nothing in that order. Uh, my dad always wanted me to be a doctor. So I, I remember at Brown, I studied uh bioelectrical engineering, because wow. I wanted to be an engineer, but I always wanted optionality to be a doctor to make dad happy. I fortunately picked engineering because that was what I loved, but but education was was everything. 
it, it was about getting an ed education and serving society, being an exceptional member of society one way or the other, and not letting opportunity go to waste. So you make your way to college, at a certain point you decide, I actually have to go uh, take a certain path in my career. I have to start a job somewhere. What was that process like for you at the time? Well, it was very well planned out, <laughs> and then I completely ignored all plans. Uh, I studied engineering, and, and I got a job to be an engineering manager, uh, and then I happened to fall in love with a woman in New York City, and I said, forget about all this career stuff. I'm going to New York. I had to find a job in New York, and at the time, the only jobs in New York were investment banking jobs, and I was lucky enough to get a job at a at a bank called Allen & Company, where my brother worked as well. So he, he got me in, and the rest is history. I started in banking, loved it, but ultimately I made some choices to go into some other parts of the business. Did any, at any point there, when you started to get into banking, were you drawn back to like, I wanna be more in the engineering space, or had you just like thrown it away at that point? I loved being at Allen & Company, being an investment yeah. bank, and, and the action and the working with different super interesting companies and management teams was was super exciting. But for me, ultimately, there was the client and we were advising the client and we weren't owning any of the problems and solutions. And that always left me a little empty, which is you give your all and you're sitting, uh, you know, arm in arm with your clients going through whatever transactions. It's very intense kind of a job for a month or three months or six months. And then it's bye-bye, I'm on to the next thing. And I never got to experience living with the consequences of your decisions, you know, growing a business, having a team that you're building with over years, not months. And that was something that I really wanted to be a part of. I was, it's always, I grew up in a big family. I love team sports. I love success as part of a collective. And I didn't want to be in this episodic adventure, yeah. which was banking. I wanted to, to be a part of a team that was building something that was lasting. So once I got an opportunity to jump into business itself, it wasn't necessarily engineering or non-engineering, et cetera. I jumped at the opportunity. This was such a smart move on Dara's part. So let's break it down. Staying open to opportunity is definitely key to a successful career. But I think it's a great idea to have some perspective of what a good opportunity looks like for you. Dara narrowed his criteria down to two things that would make a pivot worth the risk. One, a job where he can build something. And two, the chance to build a team. And then when the right opportunity came up, even though it wasn't necessarily in his field, Dara jumped on it. And that opportunity, you know, we hear people talk about you're either running towards something or from something. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. at that point, how are you thinking about it? I wanted to build something yeah. and I wanted to be a part of a team that, that built something. And, and I'll, I always remember this advice that I got from Herbert Allen, who was running Allen and Company, was to bet on people, not companies. Mm. Uh, and, you know, you're young and you're like, yes, sir, you listen, but you don't really listen. But for me, the bet that I made, there was uh, Barry Diller, who I've worked with for years and years, was a client. And I just saw the way that Barry worked. And I remember telling myself one day, hey, if I ever have a chance to work for that person, I'm going to work for that person. And lo and behold, we got an opportunity. He went out and bought some TV stations and, and then Home Shopping Network. It was a small affair, 
but I got the chance to go work for him. I jumped at the opportunity. I took a huge cut in salary, took a bunch of risk relative to what was the comfortable job that I had. Uh, and, and I never looked back. So it was ultimately, I, I took Herbert's advice a little too late to bet on a person, but it was one of the best career moves I've ever made. Yeah, I've got to tell you. So um, I had received similar advice early on, and it was about 15 years ago when someone I knew and respected named Jeff Weiner uh, moved to become the CEO of a company called LinkedIn, which no one had really heard of before. Hmm. Um, and I had a great, like had a product job at another well-known company. And Jeff called me and said, come on over here. And I'm like, I don't even know what this LinkedIn thing is, but I bet on Jeff. And yeah. you know, now I get to sit in this chair today, uh, but there's something so powerful and important about finding those opportunities and those people uh, in your career. So when you made um, that, when you made that jump, did you even know or care about the, the the types of businesses that you know you and Barry are putting together? Or was it just all about, I want to be around him and part of this thing? Like, did you care about media at the time or whatever you guys are putting together? I, I think it was definitely 80% about Barry. Yeah. But, but the area that we were going after was fascinating in that I had focused my banking career on media. Yeah. And Barry was really interested in the intersection of media and commerce. It was mm -hmm. home shopping. And Barry eventually thought that this would move into the interactive space. And he was exactly right. But as you know, you can make long-term predictions, but how you get there, when you get there, et cetera, is entirely unpredictable. And he wanted to look at other use cases where essentially entertainment and commerce came together. Uh, an example of that is we went on bought Ticketmaster, mm -hmm. for example. And then that led to our looking at ultimately uh, businesses that were transacting over the phone. And the prediction that we made was, well, it's going to move online. So that then led to another thing, which is we looked, you know, match.com dating. In the olden days, you would call and you'd say, you know, hi, I'm Ryan and I'm a nice guy and I'm, you know, six foot eight and this, and, you know, et cetera. And this is my profile. Now all that's online. Same thing. We went to the travel space, right? In the olden days, you would call a travel agent and you would reserve a flight or a hotel, et cetera, all that moved online. So we saw certain patterns and we made bets on those patterns. And it was just, it was a heck of a lot of fun. It was, it was, you know, kind of make your own adventure, choose your own adventure. And, and ours was a pretty good one. Barry and Dara were onto something, especially in the travel space. One of their biggest acquisitions was Expedia. Dara eventually stepped up as the chief executive officer of Expedia. He went on to be one of the most successful CEOs in the country, quadrupling Expedia's revenue and serving as the CEO for 12 years, which let me tell you, is a long tenure. And I mean, it's just remarkable. The experiences you had through this process, your time at Expedia, at a certain point, you've been at Expedia. Life, you know, I never say life is easy as a CEO, but like, <laughs> you, you know what you're doing and you've been doing this for a while. And it seems like out of nowhere, uh, you you get this call for a company called Uber. What's going through your mind at that point? Well, the time that I got called Uber was a super hot company that was going through a historically difficult time. Yeah. There were all kinds of controversies as it related to the culture, as it related to the founder, et cetera. So honestly, when I first got the call, my first thought was, heck no, <laughs> why, why would I ever do that? Um, but then I had uh, actually drinks with a friend, Daniel Eck, who is the founder and CEO of Spotify. And he said, you know, Dara, I, have you thought about the Uber job? I told folks that you'd be a great candidate for it. 
said, Daniel, why would I ever do that? I've been expecting <laughs> for 13 years. I'm happy. I'm having a great time. I'm interested. And, you know, there are these moments in your life where Dan- Daniel looks at me with his cold Scandinavian eyes and says, you know, Dara, this one is life about being happy. It's about having impact. You have to have impact. Uber's an important company and you can you can change it. And that that was a, you know, it was that special moment. Maybe I'd had a drink or two, so I was a little more open to suggestions. Uh, I called them back and I started having various conversations. And, and you know, it was I don't think there are that many opportunities for individuals who have outsized impact. Um, I wanted to take a shot. Mm. I was in a position in life where I could take a risk. Yep. And, you know, I've never turned back. I'm really, really glad for that moment and, and the opportunity. And, and it's been a great ride. The impact Dar has made at Uber is remarkable. Starting with overhauling the company culture, abandoning the hustle mentality, and instilling a sense of empathy and humanity across the employee base. Dara grew the business into different verticals and led Uber through its IPO. None of it would be possible if it weren't for him taking a risky leap. The one piece of advice that I give a lot of people in terms of their career is don't overplan your career. Yeah. Because there's this bias, there's this human bias to always look for signal that confirms what you want it to confirm. Totally. And I see people, young people make mistakes all the time. They say, well, I wanna be a VP by this time, or I wanna make X amount of money, or I wanna move into product management, et cetera. And there's nothing wrong with having an idea directionally of where you wanna go. But if your idea is too narrow, part of the human condition is if you see signal that doesn't agree with that direction, you're just gonna ignore it. So for me, it's the advice that, that I give folks is, Hey, have an idea of where you want to go. I was, I was new. I want to build. I want to be a part of the team. The Uber opportunity seemed really cool, etc. But I was always open. Yeah. And I was always, yeah, I wasn't looking around because I was very happy doing what I'm doing. But you know, you've got to be open for opportunity. Then you've got to take, you know, you got to jump at it. You've got to take advantage of it. It takes a lot of hard work. It takes yeah. some luck. Uh, but I do think some people I see in their careers, they're over planning. Yeah. They have a very narrow aperture, and that causes you to miss lots and lots of opportunity just because yeah. you're human. No, absolutely. I mean, even hearing like the the path that you, I mean, from the early days in Iran, no one could have planned any of this. One of the last things I wanted to ask you about, I'm big on skills, the skills being the currency that really <laughs> matter in the world. What do you think are maybe, I don't know, two or three of the most valuable skills that were necessary for you to be where you are today? So one I wouldn't consider a skill, although you, you, you might, mm-hmm. is one's just hard work. Yeah. I'll tell you, Ryan, I, I worked my ass off. And I always wanted to make sure that I was, if I'm in a group of six or seven, we're friends, we work together, but I'm going to work harder than anyone else. So is it great? Is it determination? Is it a skill? And by the way, some of it is a skill. Like yeah. you just, you have to work in order to learn how to work. Uh, so I was never going to let myself be outworked. I think another skill that I actually learned from Barry um, that is not taught at all is actually about listening. And you think about executive courses, there are all kinds of courses on communication and presentation. I haven't seen one about listening. And, and I'll tell you, Barry, for someone who's so accomplished, when he was having a conversation with you, he was all in. 
And I still remember a couple of times, there was one time we were going through strategic plan and with my team and afterwards he, we had a one-on-one, he said, you know, how you feel about it? I go, you know, I feel okay. He goes, no, you don't. What do you mean I don't feel okay? He's like, you, there's something wrong. Tell me what's wrong. And he's always scratching at that surface. And, and ultimately that got me to a better place, which was I wasn't okay with the direction that my team was recommending. I didn't want to go against them because as a leader, you, you don't want to undercut your team one way or the other. But it was actually necessary for me to realize that I had to take things a different direction. I still remember Barry said, you know, if you go with everyone's recommendation, you're going to go with the average. And he looked at me, he said, Dara, I didn't hire you to be average. And you can't always as a leader go on your own, but once in a while, the leader has to make a call that goes against the grain that is distinctly unaverage. Uh, and his listening to me even better than I listened to myself caused me to realize that, make a call, and ultimately it was a really important strategic call for the business. So I'd say like, work hard, listen hard, and I think the rest will take care of itself. And, and the last thing I, I would say is, don't be in too much of a hurry. Mm. So, you know, you look at Steve, the great Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, Jamie Dimon, uh, you know, Jack Welch. Greatness takes time. It takes time to build your craft. And I've always been in a hurry to get done what I needed to get done. But I've never been in a hurry in my career. Because if you're open and you really want to hone your craft uh, and you want to build with a team, that takes time. And ultimately, it's so much more satisfying. People talk about the magic of compounding. There's a career compounding that's magical. And I think if, you, if you're a three years or four years and out kind of a person, you're really missing out on that career compounding. It does take time. But when you take advantage of that, magic happens. Here's what stands out to me about our conversation. You could be as young as Dara was in Iran with a solid career plan, but sometimes you're met with unexpected disruptions. And it's up to you to orient yourself, identify your true north, and chase it with everything you've got. Because an unfamiliar path doesn't mean it can't lead you to a rewarding place. I love that Dara gave his skills years to develop at just a handful of companies but he found a balance between being focused and great at his job and being open to more opportunities to have impact. After the break, we'll get into how you can find that balance in your own career. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Laura Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast, Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. Welcome back to The Path. 
Before the break, we saw how Dara Khosrowshahi pivoted from engineering to finance to e-commerce while still giving his skills years to compound at both Expedia and Uber. Dara credits a lot of his mastery of skill to career compounding. In other words, he stayed at one place long enough that he saw his skills and experiences build on top of one another. So how can you make sure you're able to grow and adapt inside your company? And how can you be great on the job and open to new opportunities? Dory Clark is here to help you strategize. Dory is a communication coach and business consultant. She's the author of five books, including the Wall Street Journal bestseller, The Long Game. So first, let's talk about playing the long game at one company. There are some pros associated with spending a fairly large chunk of time at one company. First of all, you really get to know the inner workings of that organization. That kind of implicit knowledge is very powerful. And if you're thoughtful about it, it can help you advance because you get that place. It becomes part of your DNA and they know what you're capable of too. That's great. It's also true that there are sometimes negatives associated with spending a really long time at one particular company. One of them is that research has shown that you often start to get taken for granted. If someone comes in from the outside and takes a job, they're probably going to get paid more than a person who is internally promoted to that role. And so there can be some financial disadvantages, and it's important to be mindful of that so that you don't find yourself shortchanged over time. Also, there is the very real phenomenon that people oftentimes don't update their perceptions of you. If you've been at a company for a long time, five years, 10 years, you have grown a lot in that period of time. You probably have had several raises or, or promotions. You may have gotten advanced degrees. You probably worked on a number of different projects. You've developed a lot of skills that you didn't have when you first entered the company. Odds are, aside from the people who work with you most closely and are aware on a day-to-day -day basis of what you're doing, the vast majority of people in the, the slightly outer circle has no idea about any of these things because they have not taken the time to thoughtfully consider how you've grown. They're just too busy. So what can you do if you find yourself in a position where you really want to stay at one company to grow your skills, but your colleague's perception of you is a little outdated? One of the big challenges when it comes to conveying your personal brand to others is frankly conveying your personal brand to yourself. There is an internal battle with bringing your self-perception up to date. So it can be really important for you periodically to do a self-inventory and really ask yourself, all right, how have I grown over the past three years, five years, 10 years, whatever it is? What do I know how to do now that I didn't know before? What experiences have I had? One great strategy is to keep track of your accomplishments, literally writing down the projects that you've completed, the things that you've done, the landmarks that you have accomplished. It's really easy to forget them. I hired and onboarded that new employee. We closed this deal for X amount of money. We completed this project and the client gave it rave reviews. It becomes really handy as talking points for yourself when you're having performance reviews. You can just hold that up and say, here, this, this is what I did. And even better, to the extent you can, try to put a dollar figure against it. 
I mean, the, the real test about whether you are indispensable in the marketplace is, are you bringing in more money for the company than they are paying you? Another important thing is making sure to be conscious of how you're communicating with the folks around you. It's super easy if you've had colleagues for a number of years to just fall into the pattern of assuming, oh, I don't have to try with them. They know me. But the truth is we do need to be mindful. Something that I often suggest to my clients is there is almost every day a serious missed opportunity in terms of communicating our brand. If you have gone any length of time without seeing somebody, almost inevitably they are going to ask you when they do see you some variation of the question, so what have you been up to? What have you been working on? And most of us muff that question. Be aware that if somebody holds outdated perceptions of you, you need to name for yourself, all right, I met this person five years ago. I've obviously grown a lot in five years. What are the chief ways that I think I've grown in five years? And so start to think of responses that you can give to people that highlight those things. You're not bragging. They have literally asked you a question. Making sure that you're naming it so that that information is much more likely over time to sink in. By keeping track of your accomplishments and making a conscious effort to show how you've grown in your role, you can work towards new experiences at your company. But just because you love the company you're at doesn't mean you shouldn't look up to see the big picture from time to time. Remember Dar's other key advice. Don't overplan your career. Otherwise, you'll accidentally ignore great opportunities. Dar was great on the job. That's what made him the right person for these roles. But he didn't have tunnel vision just on his job. Otherwise, he would have never followed Barry Diller to Ticketmaster. There is a tendency among many high performers to focus so intently on being great at your job that you are neglecting almost all other aspects of work. Because if you are all about your job, it means that you are probably neglecting things that are important but not urgent. And that would be things like, are you cultivating your network, especially your network outside your company? Are you being thoughtful about becoming a recognized expert, not just inside your company, but also in your field? If you do those things, it's a slower burn. It's less immediately useful in terms of the day-to-day -day reality of your job, but it's much more useful for your professional arc and your overall career. One of the concepts that I talk about in my book, The Long Game, is about 20% time. The basic idea is that every employee, at least in theory, is given the opportunity to spend up to a fifth of their time working on discretionary projects that are outside the realm of their direct job. They should be projects that the person individually finds interesting, but that would have value for the company. And this has led to some amazing inventions. This is how Google News was created. This is how Gmail was created. But it is not easy, even at companies that theoretically encourage the practice. It is not easy to take time for longer-term activities that have an uncertain payoff. But I believe that for all of us, whether you're self-employed, whether you work at a company, we should have at least a little bit of discretion. Give it 5% of your time. But it is really important for all of us to not just be all in on the day-to-day -day reality of 
what we're doing because being successful, quote unquote, at your day job sometimes means that you literally have answered email for eight hours a day. And the truth is that's not going on your gravestone. So here's my takeaway. Be the kind of person someone wants to bet on. Dara and I both took risks in our careers to work with people who were great at what they did and who understood the big picture. Like Dory says, don't be so focused on small daily tasks that you let opportunities for growth and impact pass you by. And make sure to keep updating people's perception of you as your skills grow. Things don't happen overnight, but if you make sure to stay active and stay open to new opportunities, you'll get to a next step that's better than anything you could have planned. Follow the path for more episodes weekly and join the conversation about each episode on linkedin.com slash the path. The path is a LinkedIn editorial production. Our production team includes Ava Adnabegi, Stephen Valdivia, and Rachel Wong. Enrique Montalvo is our executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. Our head of original programming is Courtney Coop. And Dan Roth is our editor-in-chief. Thanks to Tatiana de Almeida, Caroline Gaffney, and Valerie Berry. And a big thank you to Dory Clark. If you want to learn more of her strategies, download the Long Game Strategic Thinking Self-Assessment for free at doryclark.com slash thelonggame. Long Game.